about you, uh, but I've got authority problems. I've got problems with authority. And I can remember one Christmas. We were driving from Nashville where my parents live to Laura's parents in St. Louis. And Laura's my wife. Um, if for you those of you who don't know, that's not like my mistress or anything. Um, but uh, the, the thing is, as we were driving, I remember passing through Paducah, Kentucky. It was a night, a lot, it was a dark and stormy night. It was a lot like this. And, um, and I remember driving, and you know, you could see the clouds up several miles away, and you were like, I'm definitely going to be driving into some rain here in about 20 minutes. And sure enough, we did. And as the rain continued to increase and come down, it began to hail. The wind began to blow like crazy. And, uh, and it was then that I began to see how much of an authority problem I have. Here's what I mean. I'm incredibly stubborn. And nothing will stop me when we get on a road trip to hurry up and get there. I'm not about the journey. I'm like, girls, you're not eating. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I, to be true, I have told Laura this in the past. I'm like, can you just put them in diapers so we can get there quicker? <laughs> you can figure that out, what I mean by that. Well, as we drove, look, uh, I began to notice something. I began to notice that my speedometer, I looked down at my speedometer, and I was going about 15 miles an hour on the highway. And the reason was, is because I couldn't see anything. The windshield wipers were not, they were on as fast as they could. They were not clearing anything off the, the windshield. And I noticed that all of these sissy cars were over on the side of the road with their hazards on. And I had to keep passing them. I was like, what's going on here? And here's the deal. Seeing how nobody or no weather could tell me what to do, I pressed on. I pressed on. But then something else started to happen. Here's what else happened. I saw in my wife's face, fear. Like, legitimate fear. You're going to get us killed here, buddy. And I look back at my three lovely daughters who are out. They're asleep. And I'm like, okay, you really need to stop. You really need to... So I did the unthinkable on a road trip. I pulled off on the side of the road and waited for the storm to pass. Now, here's the thing. Why did I pull over? I wanted to keep going. But here's the thing. What is the big deal about five minutes anyways, having to wait a storm out? But you see, I've got authority problems. I wanted to keep going, and I didn't want to pull over because I didn't want anybody or anything trying to direct my life and tell me what to do. I'm glad that I did, because by the way, as we were driving, we saw like those big road signs. They were off from this side of the road. We're off on this side of the road. They've just been ripped off. And I was like, man, what if I was driving and I got tagged by one of those things? Then, then I'd really feel awful. Um, anyways, small point, big implications. I don't like, I do not like it when I can't do what I want to do. I am like the poem Invictus. If you've ever read it, you know the last two lines. I am what? I am the master of my own fate. I am the captain of my soul. That talks about me to a T. Here's the question, what about you? Y'all got any of that in you? Anybody out there struggle with anything like this or you can find that in your own life? Uh, when does life or circumstance force itself upon you, so to speak? Why do you not want to bend? Moreover, when this happens, when you know that if you don't bend, ruin or harm or hurt are on the backside, right, of not bending. You see what I mean by that? You see, for many of us, the mantra of our lives is, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to do. Now, you may not say it angry like that or like a Navy SEAL. It just might come off a lot more sweet. I mean, we are in Texas after all. 
charmed up, so to speak. It's got big hair on it. But the idea is, is that it's still, it's still, I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it in the way that I want to do it. That is what many of us are like. We have a vision or a goal for our lives, and if anything gets in the way, we buck like crazy. We buck like crazy, don't we? And here's where I can tell. You ready? I have watched TCU students now for years, and they aim to create, here it is, a resume. <laughs> they aim to create a resume. They believe that to be successful as a person is to have a resume that is loaded with activities. And if anything gets in the way of that, good luck if you're that thing. I've seen it as well like this. What can be interesting is that it sometimes has a Christian flavor to it as well. Students claiming to be Christians can come to TCU and because fellowship with other believers, church, Bible study, all the things that Christ calls us to, because these things, here it is, because they don't fit in the agenda that we have for our lives, they are cast aside like being told what to do. Another way this shows up is the, the, the one word that every, all y'all know, FOMO. FOMO. Fear of missing out, right? This deep, it is this deep and abiding fear that if, that we have to, um, that we have to literally do everything and we cannot miss out on anything, right? And so we want to be in, we want to be included in that group, whatever that group is. But what it does, and this is true, is that it always prevents us always prevents us from committing ourselves to really good things. If you struggle with FOMO, you have a problem with commitment. Plain and simple. That's just the way it is. In an attempt to miss nothing, y'all, you end up doing nothing. Am I getting in your mail at all yet? Am I beginning to strike at the heart a little bit? I'm just telling you this. We are paralyzed at the prospect of losing control. Me and you alike. Our agendas for our lives are really what we are after in life. Here's the thing, though, that I'd like for you to consider before we get into the text. I would like for you to consider this question. Have you ever considered the cost, the cost of what it means to live this way? Now, what do I mean by the cost? I mean, what do you pay for? What do you pay to live like this. In other words, what does it cost you emotionally, relationally, psychologically? I mean, I know for me that when I live this way, according to my own, it gets me two things. Misery and ruin. That's the cost for me. I end up having to pay that, so to speak. And what I'm curious is, is what is it like for you? You see, it can leave me alone. It leaves me self-absorbed or worse. I can be incredibly insecure at times. And chances are, if you're honest, it leaves you that way too. That's the payout that you're left with. And here's my point. Pursuing our own agenda for our own lives leaves us, here it is, here it is, not free. No, not free. But more paralyzed and shackled than we've ever imagined. To pursue your own agenda for your own life is not a freeing thing at all. It is, I'm, getting, I'm asking you to consider, perhaps tonight, that it is, in fact, a more shackling and enslaving thing. Thankfully, y'all, there's good news. No matter if you are this sort of person or not, I don't know about you enough to know that, <laughs> there is hope for us. In many ways, this is what's at the heart of John 18. You're saying, what, what are you talking about? I mean, there's none of that in it. Well, we're going to see it tonight. Let me try to explain. Turn your eyes to the text tonight, and let's read a little bit about what's going on. This is the very last night of Jesus' 
has been betrayed by his buddies. He's been sold out by his friends to the Jewish authorities. Now, we are beyond the Jewish authorities in our story. You might remember the high priest. This was the Jewish leader of the day. Caiaphas was his name. He had basically put Jesus on trial. And he asked him more or less, are you God? And Jesus said more or less, yes, you say that I am. And they, he rips his robes, a sign of contempt. And he says, that's all we need to hear. You're done for. The death penalty is on you now. That is why Jesus will die is because he claimed to be tantamount to God. Now listen, the Jews, Caiaphas, of one, of one, he was one of them, they could not kill anybody. They did not have the power of the sword given to them. Instead, they had to turn them over to the state, which was Rome. Rome was the only one that could execute anybody. And so they turned them over to the state. Who is, who is that person in our text is Pilate. Pilate is the governor of Judea at this time. He's over the area. He's the ruler for Rome in this moment. And that is where we can come into the story that Jesus is now standing before the Roman authorities and the Roman court is examining him. And what you see here in this scene is a clash of the titans. You really do see that. Here's why. Because in one corner, in one corner is God, is Jesus, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom, the city of God. It is in one corner. And then over in the other corner in the red trunks is the kingdom of man represented by Pilate. Okay, And these two are about to have it out, and we see it in our scene. The kingdom of God versus the kingdom of this world. Who will win? So what is going on here tonight? Well, here's what I want you to see tonight. First of all, I want you to see that there is a tried king. A tried king. What I mean by tried, I mean this. I mean somebody who's under trial. I mean, they've been, they're being put to trial in a court system. A tried king. Jesus is being examined and scrutinized. Let's take a look. You see him interacting here with Pilate. He's being, he's being examined. He's being asked, who are you? Why are you here? What is going on? People want to kill you. Who are you? And Jesus says, he's, I mean, Pilate asks him, he says, are you, are, you, are you the king? Are you a king? And he says, you have said so. This is very interesting because what this is showing us is that God himself in the person of Jesus is actually being, he is being examined. And what I'm trying to say, I want you to see this. That is shocking. Because you don't examine kings. You don't scrutinize kings. They are the sole authority. There is nothing over against the king that a king must measure up to. A king is the authority. And that's what's so shocking about what's going on here is that Jesus himself is being put on trial. And it's crazy talk. Here's why. Think about it like this. Uh, the, the, the writer C.S. Lewis has a series of essays called God in the Dock. And I think this is a wonderful picture of this. We, like Pilate, love to be the judge, jury, and executioner. Remember, we love authority, and we don't want to be told what to do. So, we take to putting God under our scrutiny. We, like Pilate, demand that he give an account for us. And it really is, y'all, the height of our own arrogance when we do so. Lewis, in his message, in his book, God in the Dock, he writes this. Now the dock, if you're not familiar with courtroom fixtures, the dock is, where the, is the place where the accused sits, okay? And it's where he or she is examined. That's the dock. And the bench is where the judge sits. And the whole idea is, is that it's flipped, right? It's flipped. The God, that we have put God in the dock. Listen to the quote here from C.S. Lewis. You can read along uh, with me here. He says this. 
The ancient man approached God, or even the gods, as the accused person approaches the judge. For the modern man, the roles are quite reversed. He is the judge, and God is in the dock. He is quite a kindly judge. If God should have a reasonable defense for being the God who permits war, poverty, and disease, then he is ready to listen. The trial may even end in God's acquittal. But the important thing is that man is on the bench and God is in the dock. The point that Lewis is trying to make, y'all, is that man becomes the judge and asks God to give account. The irony is super thick right here. Why? Why does Pilate do this? And why do we do this? Well, listen, I think you have to see this. Pilate does, in fact, try to let Jesus go, right? But more than Pilate wanted to liberate Jesus in our text, more than he wanted to free him, which he had the full authority to do, what else did Pilate want more than that? He wanted his own agenda. And here's why. You see, Pilate knew that if he released Jesus, there was going to be a mutiny on his hands. And he could not let that happen because if news of that got back to Rome, guess what happened? Guess who's out of his power? Pilate. So he must keep the crowds happy to remain and to keep his seat. And what he does is this sort of like halfway bargaining idea between him and Jesus, and between he and Barabbas, rather, where he lets one man go and sort of like, well, y'all want, you know, you Jews, you like to let people go during Passover. And you know what? Here, take Jesus back. And what do they say? No. Give us Barabbas. Crucify Jesus. I'm trying to show you the irony here that that the picture of God being on trial. Now, this is something I think you need to see. If you were with me on Sunday night as I preached at Trinity Prez, we're going to, we're going to rehear an illustration that's so fitting and it's so wonderful. I want you to hear it. How many of y'all remember the Lion King? Right? Okay, good. Good. Thank you for knowing that. Thank you. For... <laughs> I was nervous. Um, uh, you know, because some of my cultural reference. I'm getting kind of old. Anyways, anyways, here we go. Remember Scar, right? Scar, the evil brother, right? The evil brother of Mufasa, the true king. Scar wants to be king, so he schemes, right, to have Mufasa and Simba killed. He's trying to get his minions, the hyenas, right, to be prepared. And here's how the script goes. Yeah, be prepared. We'll be prepared for what? Right? That's what the hyenas say. Scar says, for the death of a king. What? Is he sick? No, fool, we're going to kill him. And Simba, too. Well, great idea. Well, who needs a king? Then the woman says, no king, no king. La, 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 la. You remember that? Okay. And Scar says this, idiot, will be a king. But you said, I, I will be a king. Stick with me and you'll never go hungry again. You see, like Pilate, our hearts say, who needs a king? Like the hyenas, like Scar, we say, who needs a king? And yet, and yet, what we don't see is that we're already bowing down to something else. In other words, this idea of true autonomy, true freedom, is an utter and complete myth. It's a myth. You're always making something king in your life. We've already talked about it. Your grades, being included, FOMO, right? Being a good Christian kid, whatever, you, you are making something king in your life. You are saying, that will be my ultimate authority and rule. It will be the thing that governs me. 
and was getting exposed here because absolute freedom cannot be had because we are always living for something. We are always on a quest for something. Whatever it is, that is what we are ruled by. We know this. If it's money, if it's money that we're after, we organize our lives to get it. We take hard courses, we take certain majors, etc., to position ourselves for good king money. If it's looks and a certain dress size, we do all that we can to get there too. We know exactly how long to be on the treadmill, how many calories to burn through, or how many pounds to lift. We know to eat certain foods to keep the love handles off so that we may serve King Beauty. For others of us, if we just make it real clean and pretty because it has a Christian face to it, we go to several Bible studies a week, not for Jesus, but for ourselves. Or we like to be called Christians, but the moment that Jesus calls us to something hard or difficult, we couldn't care one whit about true obedience. We love bowing down to King, cool Christian. But the underlying master in all of this, as it was for Pilate, is King me. Is King me. Me, me, and myself. And what I hope you'll consider tonight is that you and me make awful kings. We're horrible masters for ourselves. I want you to see that maybe, that maybe to live for oneself, y'all, is not liberty at all. In fact, what I want you to see is that it's a lot like walking into a jail cell, locking the door from the outside, throwing the keys away from the door, sitting down in the jail cell and saying, wow, great. That's what it's like. That's what it's like. King Pilate put the true king on trial because he himself sees himself as the authority and you and me do the same. And what I hope you're hearing me say tonight is that it isn't just wrong. It's madness. It's insanity. It's what's causing our ruin and bringing despair in our life. So therefore, what hope is there for us? What hope, any at all, is there in this text? And I want to see, I want you to see secondly, this idea at the incredible freedom that comes as we see Jesus, not only as a tried king, but that we see Jesus as a guilty king. What? A guilty king? Yes, let's take a look. Remember the Jewish leaders and people are furious with Jesus. They want Him dead. Pilate has found Him not guilty. Jesus has explained to Pilate that the kingdom He is bringing is not of this world. And this certainly lowers the threat status of Jesus in Pilate's eyes. As I mentioned, it was a custom, or perhaps as a political move, Pilate says, it's a custom to let somebody go. Two men are here before you. Barabbas or Jesus, who do you want? I've already told you what they said. Let Barabbas go. We want Jesus, kill him. Barabbas, the insurrectionist, the one who wanted to overthrow authority. You see the themes of authority are deep in this text who wanted to have authority, he is the one that is let go, and Jesus is the the real king. He himself is killed. And what I want you to see is this, that two things are happening at once. And if you miss this, you won't understand what I mean when I say guilty, so please pay attention. I want you to see that an innocent man, Jesus, is being condemned. And the effect of this is that a guilty man goes free, Barabbas. King Jesus will die a criminal's death. And Barabbas the criminal will live a king's life. I'll put it another way. The true king's death 
is what secured the criminal's freedom. Why is this so important? Here's why. Remember that whole freedom thing that we love? The fact that we don't want control, we don't want to give control of our lives up. The fact that we don't want anyone telling us how to do or what to live or anything like that. Remember how we wrongly called that freedom? That we think that that's free? But as we've seen, it's no freedom at all. It's misery. You see, the reason, y'all, that we're after it, the reason that we're after freedom is that we think that our happiness and our joy are on the other side of our own self-rule. Let me say that again. The reason that I have authority problems, the reason that you do, the reason that you're a control freak is you think because on the back side of that is real joy and happiness. That's why you do it. And what Jesus is trying to show us is, is not only is that misery, but the real joy and happiness that you want can only come underneath Jesus' rule. You see that? That's the only way that can happen. That's the only way that that can be brought out. True freedom is living in line with how we were made. And so we listen to the Maker tell us how we ought to live. Think about it like this. Think of the fish. Frank the fish. One day he says to his parents, Mom, Dad, I'm sick of this water stuff. It's so confining. It's so restrictive. I mean, have you ever thought about that? I mean, all we can ever do is live in water. That's ridiculous. I don't like the rule. I want to remain... You know, I want to get out and be free. And if the thing is, is that if you remain in the water, right? Remain in the water and, uh, and, you're, and you're restricted. And so one day, using all his might, Frank, he swims to the water surface ever so fast, right next to the dock, uh, at the, right, right above the surface. And he crests the water with all of his strength. And he finally frees himself from the confines of the water as he now lies flat on the dock. And as he's flipping around, he's going, yay, I'm so free. I've gotten out of that water. That stuff that was holding me back. And what happens to Frank the fish? He dies. Because why? Because he's living outside of the confines for which he was made. Fish weren't made to live outside of the water. When they do, they die. The freedom that he dreams of will only kill him. He is most a fish. He is fishiest, right? When he is in the water, he is most free, therefore, when he is ruled by the water. And I hope I'm not being too confusing, but the freedom that Barabbas gets because of Jesus' death, y'all, listen, is a picture of what is on offer to you and me as well. I'll put it bluntly. We are most free when we have been set free. Ready? From what? From who? From ourselves. That is when we're most free. But we've been set free from ourselves and ruled by the mercy and reign of our good King Jesus. Life under His rule is like life in the water for the fish. We're utterly free in Him. The guilty King dying for us means that we go free. And therefore, this means the real things that we're longing for, to try to be our own kings, again, to remain in control, they are only had when we have been set free from ourselves by Jesus. Let me just drive this home for a second. Some of you are wondering, that's so abstract. Can you please make it practical? And I think that I can. Think about it like this. Many of you are trying to manage your future by trying to be over-involved in everything. The idea is this, I need to be in control. And the way that I exert my, my control is by over-committing myself and make myself to make myself most marketable and attractive. 
so that I'll get that prestigious job one day. And that's what drives us. Don't raise your hand, but I know it's many of you. But what if you knew, listen y'all, what if you knew, I mean really knew, that God was the sovereign one and held your future in His hands, that He loves you and will only give you His best for you. How would that, think about it for a moment, how would that free you from your anxiety tonight? How would that liberate you tonight to know that you have a good King that has put your life in His hands for one thing, to cause it to flourish, to know life, to know joy tonight? That's what's on offer. How would that free you from the way that you, that, uh, from the anger that you had for other people who stood in your way? The, the real thing that we're after, y'all, is already bound up in Him. The lie gets exposed. Our starting point, listen, is actually one of slavery without Jesus, not freedom. That's what you must see. But there's one more thing tonight that I want you to see that's very, very practical. And I want to see if you saw it there in verse 37. There we see that Jesus was not only the tried king, the guilty king, but also the missed king. Pilate could not see him. The point is simple. The real king, the king of the universe, stood before Pilate. And Jesus tells Pilate in verse 37, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Now think about this. If you want to be of the truth, if you want to know the freedom and the life that Jesus brings, how would Pilate have gotten it? What did he have to do? He had to do one thing. Listen to Jesus' voice. And he utterly missed it. He utterly missed who Jesus was standing before him. Jesus, if he, he would have listened to Jesus' voice. Jesus stood in front of him. And here is why this matters for you tonight. Jesus is present right here in His Word. He is present right here in His Word tonight before you. And this means, just like with Pilate, Jesus stands before you tonight. Like He did Pilate 2,000 years ago, and He says to you this, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Every single one of us within earshot, whether in the room tonight or listening to this podcast, Jesus stands before you saying the same thing. And what this means is that you must decide what to do with Jesus. In sum, I hope that you will see this, that what God is saying here is that you'll never be free until Christ rules your life. So here are your options. Like Pilate, you reject him, and you can have a thousand different reasons for doing so, but in the end, that's what you do. Or, like John has been urging us all throughout this gospel, you can see him. You can embrace him as your own. Here's the thing, there's no middle ground. Either you reject him or you receive him. With Jesus, as one pastor said, you either kill him or you crown him. You have to do something. I don't care if you're a Christian or you're a non-Christian tonight. You will end up making an indecision is to make a choice. Jesus is always asking. He's always forcing our hands before Him. And here's my hope for you tonight. This is my hope. Look at me, please. If you don't know Jesus, you can have Him tonight. You can hear His voice tonight. And it can all be done with. Think about that. That's the hope that's on offer for you tonight that you can know Christ tonight. That's it. You can be not like Pilate. You can be not like Him, and you can know Him tonight. 
That's what's being promised here. And that all of the life, all the joy that He gives, all the promise and the hope that He gives can be on offer for you tonight. I want to close tonight by saying this, that Jesus has died for us. That if He is our King, then there is grace upon grace to us when we fail Him. There is mercy for us. When Christ died for us, He died for our past, present, and future sins. Have you ever considered that? The sins that you will commit next week, if you are in Jesus, He has forgiven you for them. That's insane. But that's what the Gospel tells us. Only the true King can give us this. Our false kings can never, ever forgive us. They can never restore us. And they can never heal us. And my hope is that you'll see that Jesus calls us out to live on the same mission that He is on to. As He renews, as He remakes, as He makes all of creation we get to call, we are called out with Him to walk like this. Y'all, TCU needs you in a sense. And the hope for the world is His body called the church. All of God's people following their King in service to Him. Are you living like this if you're a Christian? Do you see it? Do you own it for yourself? Well, in closing, we've said that we desperately despise that Jesus makes claims of absolute authority on our lives. We say this to Jesus. Ready? Jesus, over my dead body will you rule me. And Jesus responds like this on the cross. No, 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 no. That'll never do. It'll have to be my dead body. You see, I'll die and you'll be the one who lives because in the end, your own death will never liberate you. Only mine will. To set you free from yourself, I'll have to die. That's the only thing that will do. But I'm a king, and I fight my people's battles for them. This is the tale of a good king. Not only of King Pilate, but of King Jesus. But this is also, as our title has told us, it's also the tale of a son, a son who went free. Barabbas, the insurrectionist, the one who wanted to be a king did go free. Now, Barabbas might sound like a weird name to you and me, but not the Jewish ears of the day. You see, Bar means son, and Abbas just means father. In other words, his name means son of the father. And what I hope you'll see tonight is that this son of the father who wanted control so bad that he was arrested and condemned for it went free. How? Because the true king, because the true son of the father, King Jesus, died a criminal's death. And when you see Jesus doing that for you and me in the face of all of our little rebellions, in the face of all of our little insurrections to try to gain control of our lives, it moves you and it frees you. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You tonight that You have sent Your Son to die for us. We're asking that You would make this real in our hearts, that we would see all that Jesus does for us, and that we would see how He comes to liberate us. That His kingdom is indeed not of this world, but His kingdom as it comes liberates even the worst of us. So we pray that we would look to Him tonight, that we would hear His voice, whether for the hundredth time or for the first time. And we pray that He would do that for us in Your name. Amen.